and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Gear ratings and welcome to a special NL West AOS season preview edition of Starkville. I'm Jason Stark, joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. But Doug, we're not the stars of this show. Our part of this podcast is the easy part. Uh, Momentarily, we will toss to our friend, Andy McCullough, and he will lead a discussion of these two divisions in his usual rollicking fashion. But first, why don't we toss in our two cents, Doug, starting with the NL West. You know, with all due respect to the four teams in this division, not known as the Dodgers, is there any doubt the Dodgers are the gold standard? And I mean, not just in this division, maybe not just even in this league, but at least on paper in the entire sport? Well, they're the gold standard, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, On paper is the key. (laughs) So (laughs) you got to play it out on the diamond, but they are, uh, you know, they're the diamond club right now. They have so many different weapons and uh, both sides of the ball. And, you know, I just think that offense, if someone goes down, someone just steps in and they can just beat you a lot of different ways. So to me, it's just going to come down to their, you know, how they're going to close out games, uh, how well that bullpen operates as the pitchers try to get a little deeper into the ball game. But, um, but overall, you know, they have so many different tools to score a lot of runs. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, again, like when you say on paper in a year like this, there's so much we can't predict. But is there anything that Dodgers don't do well or that they don't have the depth to cover? It honestly feels to me like the only area of potential weakness, depending on health, of course, is the area that wound up doing them in last year. And that's the back of the bullpen. They need Kenley Jansen to be great. But, uh, but Andy and the gang will talk through all of this. Now, how about the ALS, Doug? The Astros won 107 games last year. They had a plus 280 run differential. But now the manager's gone. The GM's gone. Uh, they've lost Garrett Cole, who is irreplaceable. They've lost so many guys who pitched critical innings. Colin McHugh, Wade Miley, Will Harris. Uh, now Joe Smith just opted out. I think the A's are really good. Doug, you think there's any chance the A's can win this division? There's a chance. There's definitely a chance, especially with the uh, health wild card that we're facing. Uh, because and, and they have that. Uh, this is kind of the moment they can uh, shine because it is about the small sample size, right? They're trying to figure out how to maximize their return in by being efficient. But that efficiency can play really well and play big in the 60-game schedule. Now, it could go the other way also, but, uh, you know, the A is the fact that they are matchup-driven. They're based on situational. Uh, those those things can be huge assets because you think about every game is a matchup now. They're divisional games. Uh, they're, they're rivalries in the, in the geographic space. 
And once you figure out some way to, you know, beat the team, for example, the A's, you know, played well against the Astros, that could be, uh, you know, a significant gain because you're playing these teams 10 times within your own division. Every win is a divisional gain uh, of a game over your opponent. So uh, that is, that's their, their advantage. And that's why I think, you know, you cannot count them out even with the formidable Astros most likely at the top of that division. Yeah, I love the A's. Uh, I'm also fascinated by the Angels, but uh, I think the Astros are still one of baseball's super teams. So let's see if our stable of NL West and AL West writers agree with us. Um, We'll now turn this discussion over to Andy McCullough. And Doug, you and I will be back later with our predictions for these two divisions. So now here is Andy. Um, Let's just start, you know, basically at the top with the uh, the American League West. We're going to go through the teams, reach out to Jake Kaplan, our intrepid Houston Astros beat writer. And Jake, we're going to ask everyone this question, but you go first. Um, you knew it was coming, so you really are an Astro. What's the current state of your team, and how has it been affected by COVID-19? Yeah, it's a little bit of a, a tricky uh, question to answer in this case, because unlike some other teams, the Astros have not confirmed or announced their like positive cases for COVID-19. Um, so yeah, they're, they're missing some players, um, some to injuries, some to mysterious undisclosed reasons that we don't know about. Um, you know, rotation wise, they're pretty much set. They are missing one of their starters and Jose Urquidy and in the lineup, they're missing Jordan Alvarez. So that's obviously a big, Big thing for them, um, no timetable on when he'll be back, but um, their bullpen for me is the big question mark. Um, you know, they're, they're down Joe Smith right now. Roberto Osuna, their closer, might not be ready for the start of the season. Um, and there's just uh, a lot of uh, uncertainty with kind of the depth they have there. It's, they're going to have like several guys on the opening day roster who have never pitched in the big leagues before. So not, not the same bullpen that they've had the last couple of years when they had Will Harris and some of those other guys. So we'll go to Alex Coffey, the Oakland A's beat writer. Same question to you, Alex. Yeah, so they had um, some delays in uh, receiving their intake testing results, um, which cost them the first couple days of training camp, which obviously puts them at a disadvantage compared to other teams. So there's a little bit of internal frustration about that. Um, but as far as players who have contracted coronavirus. Um, I'm pretty sure it's only Jesus Lazardo at this point. At least this is the only case that the team has confirmed. And that affects them because he was projected to be a starter in 2020. So now they have him working out of the bullpen and have slotted in Chris Bassett, who kind of is used in a swingman type role. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, swing it over to Levi Weaver, our Texas Rangers beat writer. Same question to you, Levi. Uh, yeah, so the Rangers have had two uh, confirmed cases, um, and I've been keeping like a spreadsheet to see, like, as I see players through my binoculars, like, okay, they're here today, they're probably not. Um, I, as far as I can tell, kind of everybody's been around, so I think the Rangers have mostly avoided it, with the exception of um, Brett Martin, who's a left-handed reliever, and uh, Joey Gallo. Uh, Fabian Ardaya, our Angels beat writer. Yeah, uh, I mean, the Angels have, I think, three confirmed cases. I mean, they're in a similar boat to the Astros where they haven't been, like, announcing any of these and really letting us know, like, really who's there and who's not. So we have to sort of ask each individual guy. So, so far, the three that have, like, sort of said that they've tested positive were Patrick Sandoval, Matt Feist, and Julio Tehran. All three are back in camp. 
but it sounds like the only guy who might be ready for opening day of that of those three is Spice. Then the Seattle Mariners, still in the majors, Corey Brock. Uniforms and everything, Andy. Um, hey, that's great. Uh, the Mariners don't have any Ken Griffey Juniors in camp or anyone that uh, is remotely as talented as Griffey, but they're healthy. Um, the Mariners, uh, no longstanding delays in, in terms of testing, no delays in getting significant players in the camp. Uh, summer camp, T-Mobile Park has been hunky-dory. The sun's out. There's no better place in the country than the Pacific Northwest in the summer. Uh, we're swinging over to the National League. The lineup is as long as his hair. I don't know. Whatever. Pedro, tell us what's up with the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers have had two confirmed positive tests, uh, A.J. Pollock and Kenley Jansen. They also had a, um, another player opt out, David Price. Um, Pollock and Jansen are back in camp, and every member of the 40-man has reported to Dodger Stadium for, for summer camp. So they're in pretty good shape. Arizona Diamondbacks, Zach Buchanan, you're on the clock. The Diamondbacks are in a pretty good situation. Uh, they're probably going to head into the regular season with the exact same roster they thought they would have in April, which is all their additions minus Mike Leak. Back in April, Leak was dealing with a wrist thing. Now Leak has opted out, and this serves as a good reminder to everybody that Mike Leak is on the Diamondbacks now. Um, but uh, Cole Calhoun tested positive. Uh, reliever Junior Guerra tested positive. They're the only guys kind of in the mix on the active roster that tested positive. But both of those guys have been back for over a week now and are going to be on the opening day roster. Andy Baggerly, the San Francisco Giants. Tell me about him. They have one confirmed COVID-19. That's Luis Madero. So if you thought he was uh, the key to the season, uh, too bad. Um, uh, Harleen Garcia and Billy Hamilton were out for undisclosed reasons. We assume that's covid uh, they're back, but not going to be on the opening day roster, which means the Giants will have to wait to have their secret pinch runner in extra innings, provided they ever get to extra innings. Uh, the big one, Buster Posey, he opted out. Uh, he and his wife adopted uh, newborn twins. They, they were born the very day of the Giants' very first workout of rebooted camp, so a pretty easy family decision for him. Uh, that means that Joey Bart will probably come up uh, uh, after six days uh, when um, you know the Giants can basically deprive him a full year of service time. All right, catch the fever. Uh, Nick Groke, the Colorado Rockies. Hey, Andy, how are you? I'm okay. Um, the Rockies are doing okay. They had Charlie Blackman quarantined in Georgia for a couple of weeks. He had the Rona. He was really mad about it. Um, he was just impatient and lonely, I think. But he's back, and he'll probably be on the opening day lineup, maybe as a DH. Otherwise, they're doing really well. I think there's like a advantage for the Rockies that they're really close to MLB's testing lab in Utah. So they have, they've had no problems getting tests out and back. So uh, geography is like maybe a market efficiency at this point. Other teams should probably move, move to States nearer to Utah uh, if they want to compete, but otherwise the Rockies are doing a okay. Thanks Andy. I'm learning a lot through this chat. Uh, for example, I'm learning that the Padres finished in last place in the division last year. I would have thought it was like third, but it turns out it was last. So Dennis Lynn, tell us more about the Padres. So the Padres are also doing okay. As far as I can tell, they've had two confirmed cases of the Rona with uh, Tommy Pham, who recently came back. He was asymptomatic for the most part. So he's been able to simulate pretty quickly into camp. And then Jorge Mateo, who Adrian Preller, um, you might have heard Adrian probably likes to make trades, and he just traded for him, and a guy came in and tested positive right away. So that's uh, it's not great, but he's more of a bench piece, I think, uh, in their eyes, and 
for right now, since he hasn't practiced still, um, his status for opening day is probably up in the air. Cool. All right. Second question for the group. We'll start back up at the top again with Jay. Give us like one player to watch this year from your club who, uh, you know, isn't like Alex Bregman. You know what I mean? Like someone who has caught your eye in spring training, summer camp, who you think will make a difference for your club this year. So Jake, who you got? Someone who's not like a household name. I I would go with Josh James, who's going to be their fourth starter. Uh, He was in their bullpen last year and not very good in their bullpen. He was very inconsistent, but um, had a really strong spring training and uh, a solid summer camp. He had a, he was late because he was um, waiting for the birth of his second child. But once he showed up, he like threw four innings right away. So um, he looks ready and uh, I would consider him to be kind of a a wild card in the rotation. Alex. I would say um, Frankie Montas. I mean, you know, as far as household names go, this is the A's we're talking about, so I feel like... Well, to be clear, it... this is baseball, so none of them. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, Montas was just named opening day starter, and he's been doing a lot of work. He had been doing a lot of work during the work stoppage, um, making some tweaks to his release point. Now he's throwing it seven feet away from the mound, and he's hitting triple digits with ease, and... Um, the A's hitters have said that he's just – his stuff is electric right now. So, I would keep an eye on him. Seems reasonable. Levi? All right. So, I got two. Um, Jonathan Hernandez is uh, a, a guy that I think probably – he can throw like three or four innings. He was a starter last year, but I think he has the potential to kind of be a pretty lights-out back into the bullpen guy. I mean, an, another one of those triple digits guys um, and relatively unheralded. His dad was a big leaguer, but uh, – yeah, he's looked incredible in camp. And then uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is the other one. He, they tried to switch him to catcher last year. It didn't go so well. He was just an okay catcher, and it sort of slowed him down from doing everything else. But he is a, a defensive wizard in the infield and has come to camp hitting the crap out of the ball. And so he was that way in spring training, has done so in the summer camp as well. And to the point now that it looks like he's forced the team's hand, he's probably going to be the starting third baseman. They're probably going to flip. Todd Frazier over to first base. So there's your guy, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And by the way, sorry, I just noticed that your screen name was West Coast Carrig. So kudos for that. That's I just noticed Todd Frazier was on the Rangers. So we're having a Oh, game. yeah. Yeah. Todd Frazier's on the there Rangers. You go. Uh, Fabian. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the Angels are mostly consisted of like guys that at least like baseball fans have heard of and then their depth has typically lacked. But it seems like now they're starting to build that up. And the guy who really has caught my attention when healthy has always been Griffin Canning, a former top prospect, a former second round pick, really polished. And it seems like whenever he's been able to stay healthy, he's probably been the most consistent starter in the Angels rotation. All right, Corey, and you can't say Jared Kalanick. No, I'll skip him. But uh, Andy, we can run through these thirty guys real quick and see how many you've heard of. Do yeah, let's do that. Or? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, yeah, I think the most interesting guy uh, that comes to mind for me is outfielder Kyle Lewis. You guys might remember Lewis from last September. He actually became the first big leaguer to homer in six of his first ten games. Um, there's truly it's a stat for everything. Now that I uh, I've discovered that, but. Uh, he's an outfielder with a lot of all-fields power. Um, he could run. He's a good defender, former first-round draft pick that was sort of besieged by some knee injuries early in his professional career, but uh, seems to have found his stride at the age of 25. He's going to get a chance to play every day. Cool. Uh, Pedro? I'll go with Dustin May. 
a young right-handed pitcher who debuted last summer. Impressed, um, was used in a relief role in the postseason. He's not opening the season in the rotation, but the Dodgers are going to need, I think, somebody to develop into a number three starter if they're going to win this whole thing. They have Walker Buehler. They have Clayton Kershaw. They had David Price, who has a great track record in the postseason despite the first eight years of his career. Um, and May looks really good in summer camp. He's throwing the ball extremely hard. Uh, he's got great action on his secondary pitches. He looks like he could be that guy. And to answer to, uh, to a question on here I saw from Jose Gann, uh, Gavin Lux, yes, he is going to start in L.A. Probably only against right-hand pitching at first at second base, but he's going to start. All right, Pedro, we're just on your time here. Zach? Uh, the Diamondbacks don't really have anybody off the radar. Um, the two best guys in camp have been Cattell Marte, who continues to look awesome, and uh, Robbie Ray, who has looked really good in camp, but who knows if that continues to the regular season. He dropped 25 pounds and reconfigured his delivery. Um, if I had to pick someone that maybe fans hadn't heard of, I think Zach Gallon is awesome, and everybody's going to know about him by the end of the season he might be the best starter on the staff bags honestly the the guy to watch uh on the giants this year is gabe kapler because he's going to do some weird stuff um you know he's already told us that he's not really going to have a rotation it's going to be buckets of pitchers that include bulk inning guys sprint guys and back-to-back guys and i think he's going to do some really odd stuff because they don't really have a lot of pitchers that they want to face batters the second time um but they have a lot, a lot of depth. Uh, Tyler Anderson, uh, Kevin Gossman, Drew Smiley, all those guys have thrown well, um, and they're, they're all you know, on one-year contracts for a reason. And they've got Cueto, they've got Samarja, they've got Logan Webb, who they like a lot. Uh, Tyler Beatty's out for the other time and Tommy John surgery. But how they like, put this pitching staff together is going to be really kind of fascinating, and I think they're just going to take the opener concept and just like explode it and turn it up to 11. Did Gabe use the phrase buckets of pitchers? He did, yes. Buckets have we learned have we learned nothing from Mitt Romney? <laughs> those, weren't those uh, binders? Those yes. are binders, not buckets. Nick Groke, who you got? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I mean, I'd like to tell you to watch out for Herman Marquez, the opening day starter for the Colorado Rockies. You had him in like tier two, I think, of your ace rankings. He's got great stuff. Yeah, he's a really good pitcher. You just shouldn't have him on your fantasy team because his numbers are going to suck, but he's a good pitcher. Cool, man. Cool. Dennis. I'm going to go with Denelson Lamette. Um, Chris Paddock was just named opening day starter. Huge surprise to everyone today. Um, but Denelson Lamette is really intriguing because last year, among guys who – I'm cherry-picking stats here, but um, I'm just going to do it because this is my pick. Um, he had 70 innings among pitchers with 70 innings. He ranked third in the majors among starters in Ks per nine. Uh, kudos to any of you can, you can name the number one and two spots, but uh, he was right up there with uh, 13 strikeouts per nine. So with, um, you know, no, no innings limits to worry about this year. He's, uh, he's another year removed from Tommy John surgery. I think he's, uh, he's a guy who's good overtake Chris Paddock in terms of kind of being the, uh, the ace of the rotation. I think they don't really see it that way. They see it as having two, uh, two number ones in San Diego. But when you have two guys like that at the uh, top of the rotation, I'll be a Tommy John guys. You, uh, you probably have to feel pretty good. All right. So we're going to open up the floor a little bit. Uh, everyone's got their feet wet. They understand how zoom it works, I guess. Um, remember like back spring training, how everyone was like mad at the Astros, right. For like the, um, 
major cheating scandal. Uh, like, start with Jake, and then maybe, you know, let me, like, unmute yourself if you want to start talking, I guess. Um, is that, like, Jake, do you expect there to be carryover? Like, do you expect to, you know, have them see the Astros getting thrown at? Like, I know fighting is going to be less likely now, obviously, because of, you know, the even stricter protocols. But, like, is it completely gone? Like, is it something that's going to come back in a couple of years when, like, fans are definitely allowed inside? Yeah, I don't know. It's – I don't think it's completely gone. I mean, if you look at Twitter, it's definitely not completely gone. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing would have been the fans booing them, right? I, I always thought the – getting thrown at every game thing was a little overstated. Like, I think they would have gotten thrown at here and there. I don't think it would have been as rampant as some people believed. Uh, maybe maybe I'm, I'm being naive there, but I don't think pitchers want to get suspended and lose money. And I don't think managers want to get suspended. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to get a read on it, obviously, with the situation. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Well, it just feels like that. It like I don't know. Like it's just it feels very trivial now, I guess. But like I don't know. Like I I I'd be curious to know like how like players really feel about it. And it seems like with the limited Zoom, you know, interactions, like there hasn't been a lot of questions being asked to guys because there's just much more important stuff going on. So I'm curious, like if anyone in the in division had any you know thoughts on that that they had heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Angels didn't have a whole lot of pitchers still on their roster for 2017 just because they've had so much turnover and a lot of guys just get hurt. But, I mean, the guys who were there, especially Andrew Heaney, who's probably one of the most vocal guys in that rotation, were incredibly pissed off uh, when they talked about it in the spring. Uh, but I'm not sure how much retaliation there will be uh, from the Angels. I know Joe Madden has talked about how he doesn't really want that to be part of what happens I know that's sort of what he has to say but also like Andy said I don't think he wants to get suspended and I don't think Heaney who would have been the Angels opening day starter in Houston uh, wanted to get suspended either so I'm not sure there would have had real retribution in terms of hitting guys but like definitely some uh, loud crowds in Anaheim. Yeah I think they've probably dodged a, a little bit of a bullet by not having to play in front of interdivision fan. I mean, if I may pander to Rangers fans a minute, I think it was probably going to be really raucous and really loud when Houston was in town. It'll probably still be the case. I mean, that's all fans are always going to boo Astros fans, but I think given a year to like get the vitriol of that out of their system and, you know, going through a pandemic and an election year and all sorts of interesting things between then and now, I mean, I, I do feel like they maybe dodged a, a bit of a bullet on that. But don't baseball players have the longest memories ever? I once heard a story about Greg Maddox holding a grudge against a hitter for like six or seven years and finally got back at him uh, by hitting him when just the circumstance came up. So, I don't know. I'm kind of like you. Like, have we all moved on? Probably. But, man, I wouldn't put anything past these guys. And maybe 2021 rolls around and someone gets one stuck in their ribs. They will be like, oh, that's why. Alex, any, any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I mean, this might come as a shock, but uh, A's fans were looking forward to those home series against the Astros and had, like, all of these elaborate plans made up that involved a lot of um, trash can banging. So they are very disappointed. Um, Fires, you know, he's asked about it from time to time, but he kind of brushes it off. Um, the only uh, the only pitcher that I can think of that's still really talking about it and is noticeably upset is Vinaya. Um, but other than that, you know, 
it's, I think they pretty much want to move on. So I got a question for, for Nick and bags and Dennis in that order. Uh, convince me why, how your club is going to beat the Dodgers in the NL West this year. Man, because sample sizes are wrecked right now. You could get on a run. You could hit, you know, like, like, like two weeks of home run hitting from, like, four guys, and all of a sudden you've won, like, 12 or 14. And, like, and then you're in the postseason. But, I mean, you could just as easily lose 12 or 14. But, I mean, that's the hope, right? You just, you just like, rush to some wins before all your flaws are, are like, apparent. And by the time everybody catches up to how, you know, the holes in your lineup, then you're already in the postseason. Like, that's, the, that's a great strategy, really, to get to, to October. You are hopped up on goofballs, man. Uh, bags. <laughs> yeah, we got to have a rational hope. Or fans of every team have to have a rational hope this time of year. But I guess the two things that I would point to is the Giants were 19-6 and six in July of last year, which is like half the season now. And Alex Dickerson, for three weeks, was like the best hitter in the National League. Who you, you're probably asking who Alex Dickerson is, but he's actually healthy again. So, uh, and the other thing is, is I really do think there's something to the rivalry. I mean, the, the Dodgers have just cleaned up in the division. They've won seven straight division titles, but over that span, their record against the Giants is 66 and 67. So, I mean, they always kind of play each other tough. There's such a talent gap between the two franchises that's obvious. But especially if Kapler goes in and he's not going to let you know who's starting and he's going to get weird with the pitching uh, and they scratch out a few runs. Uh, I mean, seven of the first 17 games the Giants play are at Dodger Stadium. So if they can kind of get through that period without getting buried, they might actually believe that they could do something. Well, you gave it a shot. Dennis? Uh, I think that the Padres, two things, the bullpen. um, People talk about the bullpen a lot. It's already sustained a couple injuries, but still pretty deep. And I haven't really looked very closely at Pedro's bullpen, or I mean the Dodgers' bullpen, but seem to remember them being a little shaky over the last few years. So in a season where these guys are going to have to be paced as much as they would be in a 162-game season, I think uh, these guys have a pretty good shot to shorten some games. And then um, on the offensive side, I point to Fernando Tatis Jr., who played um, about 84 games last season and was really, really good in 84 games. So I think if he's – He's good to go for 60 games. He's, a, he's the kind of guy who can be a real pest to pretty much anyone they play. I would put the bullpen as the, uh, the number one factor for the Padres and possibly pulling an upset here. Pedro, which, uh, which club do you think the Dodgers should be most concerned about? Definitely not the Rockies. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, just, I just say that. I'll take either of the other two. That's fine. But come on. I mean, let's not even. Let's not. I'm sorry. If you're a Rockets fan listening to this, it's not going to happen. I, I will assure you of that. It's just not going to happen. Um, the Diamondbacks are always a competent squad. You know, Mike Hazen puts together a team that, that knows how to play. They're going to they're gonna be a 500 club this year. I, I feel pretty confident, at least, and maybe more. Uh, the Padres, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Dennis would know better than me, and he knows, like, you, you would know. I'm sure you would say that they have some prospect potential. They might have some hit potential, but we also just, I wouldn't be that surprised if they're three games under at the end of the season. So, but you, Andy, you skipped me on the um, the Astros uh, hitting the Astros question. Oh, I guess I did. Not, I guess it's I kind of relevant, you know, because the Dodgers do play the fifth and sixth games of the season in Houston, and slated to start those okay. games. The Dodgers are Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw. So, yeah, it's an, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we have not really checked in on that as reporters. It's it's you know, as Andy said, there have been a lot of other issues, but. In spring training, Ross Stripling said that he would uh, hit. He probably would hit an Astro uh, if he was faced with the uh, with the opportunity to do so. 
he said he would do it uh, in a in a way that would limit the risk to hurt the player, you know, by aiming towards uh, their butt. I think was was the specific word he used. So that that sort of thing I could see, you know, I, I expect that to still happen. But as Corey said, also I could expect that to happen in twenty twenty one. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. We have a, a question in the chat. Someone says uh, thoughts on fake crowd noise. Uh, thumbs up or down? Okay. Uh, so Pedro, you're the only one who likes it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Why? It's. I mean, the player. The okay. We've spent the last like you know, our entire careers all understanding that players are motivated by crowd noise and that better, louder, more boisterous crowds create a better, louder, more boisterous environment to play the sport in. Why would we expect that to stop now? Even if it's fake, I mean, it's, it's still better than nothing. I mean, it's really hard for someone to, the no, I think the silence just makes it sound like, feel like practice. The noise creates, you know, fake is, is not great, but it's better than nothing. Are players motivated by crowd noise? I mean, have you asked Walker Bueller about that? Yes. No, he, yes. he likes talking to you. He doesn't really like talking to me. Well, players are motivated by crowd noise. Yes, okay. yes they are. They, right. like, they like performing for people. Humans are performative creatures, you might say. So this is a, uh, you know, we've kind of touched on like the strangeness of this impending season. And, you know, it's like at the top of the show, it's like, okay, tell me how your team was affected by COVID, right? There's something like kind of, you know, like gross about that in, in a way, right? Because it's like a serious respiratory illness that has, you know, can be deadly and has long-term effects. And we're in this place now where like opening day is very close. And I think as an industry that covers sports and, you know, that serves sports fans, we want to like kind of meet the excitement of that, but also, um, you know, sort of be respectful of like, why this season is so strange and I'm just wondering like how you guys are towing or like handling that balance I mean I think it's something that's been really challenging for me professionally and like as you get ready to go into this season like how do you plan on handling that I guess it's really difficult I mean I think you sort of said that but um, in all sincerity it's really hard the dissonance between like wanting to pretend that things are normal when they're absolutely abnormal in every way it's really difficult and, but like at some point, like, do you, you know, it, it's so, the things, the things that are happening are so obvious that maybe they don't, you don't need to remind, you know, we don't need a reminder at every point. But I mean, I, it seems like we do though, also because it's so prevalent and it's, it's coloring every step of the season. But, um, you know, it, it just feels gross to pretend that things are normal and that this is normal baseball when it's very much not. And I don't like to answer your question in all honesty, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it really. There's a game a few years ago where uh, there was a, a major shooting in Dallas in the middle of a game. And one of the fans was, well, it was a police officer that was shot. He was a big Rangers fan and that kind of rippled through the community. And I had to write a story and it's like, how, how can baseball possibly be important at this time? And, and I felt that way as, you know, if you're just, if you're paying attention, I think there's a tendency that we could have, been feeling this way for for quite a while now and then it just extremely ramped up um this year but i was so i've been wrestling with it without a good answer but i was watching um the the new andy sandberg movie palm springs uh i'm i'm gonna do life lessons with andy sandberg here apparently um and it was it's a really good movie by the way I, i highly recommend it but for like an hour and a half or whatever we just sat and watched a movie my wife and i and um when it was done it was just like 
it, I had been able to forget for just like an hour and a half. I was able to not think about 140,000 people dying or civil rights marches that are begging for long overdue changes or corruption in government for an hour and a half. I just got to like take a break and breathe and I didn't have anxiety and I didn't have uh, heart palpitations. And it was like this nice, like, uh, like that was a wonderful break. I finally understand what my role is now that, you know, I don't, I personally, I don't want baseball to be something that distracts us from these very real issues that we, we need to see with open eyes. We need to be watching this happen. We need to be fighting for change. We need to be present and not just firing off a tweet about how, oh, isn't this a tragedy? Like legitimate, like putting in the work and learning and making mistakes and fighting for a better country and a better world. We need to be doing that. But in the meantime, you're going to get burned out if you just do that 24 hours a day. And so the way that I am finally, this is, this is new for me, the way that I am viewing my role this year is to give people um, maybe an opportunity to just take a break. And sometimes that's going to mean like putting something in the story that, that says, you know, or indicate like when this is done, let's get back to work. But, but I finally kind of understand sports as, a, as an escape now, which is something that I, I haven't really understood very well in the past. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, I think it is that Nick, you spoke to it like too. It's like, should every clause and every sentence be like, this is weird because you know, like, and have the statistics from the pandemic. It's just, I don't know. Um, it's very strange. Anyone else care to reflect on this as we kind of, uh, as we start to wrap up? Hey, you know what? what doesn't, Hey Andy, you know what doesn't help? Fake crowd noise. That's not helping anything. Like, especially when it turns on, like, two seconds after the play, and then it immediately, like, there's a roar, and then, and then it's silence. Like, could you be more artificial with it? Like, come on. It's I think, I think the far more dystopian thing is having cardboard cutouts of fans in the stands. Like, even if the money's going to a good cause, like, I, you know, like, I don't, to be clear, like, if it's going to charity, I think that's great. But it also is just very strange, you know. Well, the see- alternative is just massive ads. So, what's better? Um. I don't – well, what would the ads be for? They're, I mean, they're, they are. They're still there. Like, they're putting – like, the security benefit is taking up, like – Well, maybe they were for cool – maybe they were for cool corporations. <laughs> That's – yeah. No. Well, yeah, like Whataburger. What if it was – what if it was a big Whataburger ad in left field at Dodger Stadium? But it's right. not. So. Dennis, you having a good time? Yeah, I was going to say, does, uh, does anyone like the idea of stuffed animals in the stands? Because I feel like that's a lot better than a Whataburger ad, honestly. How, I don't yes. know if the dogs would be nice. Like those, yes. That was really cool at the Mets game yesterday. Wait, what, what did they have? Uh, someone used like their cutout to basically make it into a photo of their dog. So it was oh. just like a dog. That's nice. I like the idea of... Uh, the like the teddy bears, although that could just be like really, really scary though. After a while, I think Jason Gay had a had the best idea. Instead of no fans, how about one fan? That would be awesome. They could just scream their asses off for like three hours, and and you like maybe maybe the team that had the best single fan would have an advantage. It would be great. <laughs> the guy just leaves in the sixth inning. He's like, this game stinks. The I would Dodgers just- would have the. The Dodgers would have their one fan show up in the in my fourth. backyard. Yeah, they, yeah, the Dodgers fan shows up late. Uh, let's okay. We have a couple quick questions, real quick. Uh, here we go. Okay, for Alex, 
Uh, how does AJ Puck going down on the IL impact the likely starting rotation? So um, he's currently, I think he's dealing with a shoulder strain. This just happened a few hours ago. Um, Bob Melvin announced it. Basically, um, there's no timetable for his return. So in the meantime, they're going to slot in Daniel Mengden, who's had um, some elbow issues of his own. He says he feels good and that his elbow's fine, um, but he just came off the 60-day IL, so it's not the most ideal situation between him and Lazardo not being able to work out of the rotation, but, but yeah, it's definitely not good for the A's. Sorry, everyone. It is not what you want. Um, okay, before we wrap up, any final thoughts, comments, predictions on the 2020 season? Anyone want to go out on a limb? Nick, you've been living on a limb for about 40 minutes right now. That's where I live, man. Uh, on a limb, like a, a, pred- a prediction that's out on the limb, like they actually make it through the season would be my like out on a limb prediction. There's a lot of uh, – there's like a lot of push to get it done. Like from the – like in Colorado alone, the actual governor is like calling them often. Like we have to play baseball. There's a lot of there's a lot of push to get the season done. Yeah, the Toronto Blue Jays don't have a home, and the season starts on uh, Thursday. That's sort of an issue. But you can follow all of our writers uh, on Twitter at their various Twitter handles. I'm sure you can find them. Um, and yeah, feel free to subscribe to the Athletic. It's a good site. Lots of good stories on there. You'll probably find something you like. Boy, great stuff. Uh, This is Jason Stark back here with Doug Glanville. And Doug, we promised the people predictions. We are going to give them predictions. Uh, So let's start with the NL West. Here's how I say it. Unless the Dodgers get hit with a rash of injuries or a rash of positive tests or both, I I think that team's going like 40 and 20 and will win this division by... I don't know, eight games. Uh, I could see Mookie Betts as the MVP. I could see Walker Bueller as the Cy Young. I could see Gavin Lux as the Rookie of the Year. That'd be some serious hardware, man. Um, I do think the Diamondbacks have a chance to be a playoff team, though. So, Doug, uh, give us a winner in that division and what you predict. Any other playoff teams come out of the West? Yeah, I, I, I've been definitely like the Dodgers at the top. And, yeah, the Diamondbacks are – a team you have to watch out for. I mean, they have, you know, Madison Bumgarner coming out of the mix and, you know, they have a lot of talented players on the offensive side, you know, Starling Marte, who, you know, is a sort of a secret weapon for the pirates for so many years. Yes. So, you know, they're, they're going to make a lot of noise. And once you said like an injury or something shifts things, they'll be there. So I I like those numbers. I I think the Dodgers might win more than 40, actually. (laughs) They're going to be, they'll say 42 and 18, uh, but I, wow. but I, wow. yeah, I think they're going to be just, you know, if they got off to a good start, good night, but the, um, the D-backs are going to, you know, they'll be well over 500 and I think they will be a playoff teams in addition to the Dodgers out of that division. Actually doing some quick math here. Uh, 42 and 18 is the equivalent of winning 113 yep. <laughs> in 162 game season. So I just want you to know what you just predicted. Yep. All right. Uh, all right. Now the West AL West, this is tougher. As I've been saying, I think the A's have a chance to be great. And here's a little tidbit, man. Did you know that the A's, who have won 97 games the last two years, uh, they're the first team 
since the 1977-78 Red Sox to win that many games two years in a row and not finish first in either year. Oof. How about that? Wow. And I, I think they're better this year than they were the last two years. Uh, Hazelus Lazardo, wow, can't wait to watch that guy. Um, but as I said in our podcast this week with Boog Shambi, I just feel like the Astros – have a chip on their shoulder the size of J.J. Watt. <laughs> uh, and they're going to use all the hate and, and all the doubts for fuel this year. So I'll take the Astros. I have them going 34 and 26. But I think the A's will host the wild card game. So, Doug, your thoughts on the AL West? You know, I like it. I, I like where it heads at on this, this squad. The Astros do have a chip on their shoulder. And they also have the advantage of not dealing with all the fans that are not going to be there <laughs> to let them know about their their <laughs> transgressions. And you know, Dusty Baker, we had him on our podcast, and you know, he he's a, a person that believes strongly in forgiveness and moving forward. He loves to right the ship, and he's so good at it. I think that's going to make a difference. So yeah, I, I do think the Astros take that division, but I think it's narrow. I think it's only by like a game. Astro, the the A's are. A, very difficult team to the matchups are fantastic and they've played well historically against the Astros. So I, I don't know, even if they get in there, I don't know if the Astros are going to get by the A's if they go head to head at some point in the postseason. anything's possible. So, um, but I'll go with you on that. I think the A's still also get in the playoffs and uh, we have that one, two punch out of the American league West. I like it when we agree for a change. How about that? Uh, Okay, that's going to do it for this special season preview edition of Starkville. We'll be back tomorrow to preview the NL Central and AL Central with our 10 writers who covered those teams. Until then, thanks for joining us on Starkville. Starkville.